we are, um, I'm going to talk about, uh, and we're going to talk through an Easter uh, message this morning, but um, not from a traditional, maybe traditional or typical passage. So if you've got a Bible with you, I invite you to find Revelation. Revelation is the last book in the New Testament. You've got to remember the Bible is not a book. The Bible is a library. It's a collection of books, 66 books in this library, uh, 39 in the what's called the Old Testament and 27 in the New Testament. And um, if I got my math wrong, somebody will help me, please. And uh, and uh, the Rev- book of Revelation is the last book uh, in the New Testament. We're going to be in chapter one just in just a moment. Uh, I want to just make a mention about historical events. Historical events are kind of a funny thing because, you know, something happens in history and some of us, you know, would get excited about something and some of us not so much. It affects people differently. If you think, for example, let's say you were to tell me that your great-granddad was a, you know, a great war hero and saved lots of lives and, 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 and you know, just accomplished great things in the heat of battle and survived to tell the tale, you know, I'd be like, well, that's that's really cool and now you're here. Well, that's Great, that's wonderful. If that same event was my great-granddad, I'd be all over it. I'd be all excited and I'd tell you about it. It would be like, wow, that's why I'm here and that's how, that's why I'm married to, to Becky and I've got kids and wow, isn't that amazing? Same event, received differently. And some of us kind of feel that way, um, you know, okay, well that's about important things. Some of us are like that with unimportant things. Some of you diehard sports fans, you know, you can tell me about that World Series of 97 or that Super Bowl of 83, like, ah, oh, that was the one. And, you know, so if we can remember unimportant, sorry, diehard sports fans. <laughs> and I will tell you this. If the Sharks win today, there will be a few more hockey illustrations in the weeks to come. <laughs> but if they don't win today, I don't want you to bring it up. <laughs> All right? Is that a deal? <laughs> so, they're playing on Easter. That's just terrible, isn't it? Anyway, so there's things that we get excited about in in history that that don't actually matter. So then why wouldn't we get excited about the most important moment in human history? The moment that that Jesus rose from the dead. Why don't we be passionate about the person at the center of this, this event, Jesus Christ? And that's why I want to take you to Revelation chapter 1, just to refresh just remember, last Sunday when we were here, we talked about Jesus, his great entry into Jerusalem. And uh, through the week, he prepared, they uh, they celebrated their Passover meal together on the Thursday night. And then that night, Jesus was arrested. He was uh, led away. He was, uh, you know, tried in a sort of a mock trials. He was... Uh, he was tortured, he was, he, was, he was mocked, he was beaten, he was spit upon. He just took all that suffering and shame. That's a good word for what he experienced, the shame and humiliation. And the Bible teaches that was all for our sin. And then finally on Friday morning, he was, he was crucified. He was nailed to a cross in the style of Roman execution. The most painful uh, execution that they had figured out. Very public and painful way to die. And that's what they did to Jesus. And there he, he hung in that cross and he died there. And before nightfall, they took his body down. A guy named Joseph was able to, to, to get a hold of that body, laid him in a tomb. And there it was. End of the story. That's where we left it on Friday. Sunday morning, as Pastor Stephen read, the women went to the tomb to discover it's empty. 
Jesus is not there and not because his body has been whisked away, but because he is alive. He's been raised from the dead. So if you've got Revelation chapter 1, uh, open to invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. I'm going to read the first eight verses of Revelation 1. I want to let you know in the next seven weeks, we'll move into a message series uh, based uh, out of Revelation. And so I would love for you to come and be a part of that in the weeks to come. He writes this. This is a revelation from Jesus Christ, or it's one of those little bit hard to translate words. It could be of Jesus Christ or about Jesus Christ or from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show uh, his servants the events that must soon take place. He sent an angel to present this revelation to his servant, John, who faithfully reported everything he saw. So it's John writing all this down for us. This is his report of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Verse 3 says, God blesses those who read, God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church. Alright, so I'm being blessed right now because I'm reading these words to the church. And he blesses all who listen to its message and obey. So if you hear this and you apply this in your life, you also are blessed. I mean, we are starting off right this morning. Isn't it great? For the time is near. Verse 4, this letter is from John to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Grace and peace to you from the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come. From the sevenfold spirit before his throne and from Jesus Christ. He is the faithful witness to these things, the first to rise from the dead and the ruler of all the kings of the world. So just right there in those few verses, John has acknowledged Father, Holy Spirit, and Jesus the Son. Uh, Carrying on in, in verse 5, all glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. He has made us a kingdom of priests for God his Father. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. Look, verse 7, he comes with the clouds of heaven and everyone will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the nations of the world will mourn for him. Yes and amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord God. I am the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come, the Almighty One. Amen. Let me thank the Lord for His Word this morning. Let's be seated uh, together. All right, so let me just give you a little backstory on the, on the guy who's writing this, this guy named John. John was Jesus' best friend on earth. He was one of the 12 apostles. He was one of the very first ones called. He was close to Jesus. He was at all the biggest events of Jesus' ministry life. He was there at the transfiguration. He was there when Jesus walked in water. He was there when Jesus fed 5,000 with, with five loaves and a couple fish. John was there for all of that. John, John was the only disciple at the cross when Jesus was crucified. Everyone else had fled, but John was there. John was the one to whom Jesus said, John, this is my mom, take care of her, when he was hanging on the cross and dying. That's, that's how close they were. John is the only one of the twelve that was not martyred, was not killed for his faith, but he lived to an old age. When he's writing this, he's at that time banished, exiled onto an island. The island's called Patmos, and he was, he was there. He was not in prison, but he was exiled there. So while he was not killed for his faith, he certainly was persecuted and possibly even tortured for his faith. John was a pretty prolific writer. Five of the books of our New Testament were penned by John. Now, hold on your hats, because the, the titles of these books are pretty creative. There's the gospel called John. Then there's three letters, and they're called First John, Second John, wait for it, Third John. 
And then he really goes wild with the revelation. So that's John. He, he's, he's written all these things. Now, here's, here's my point behind all that. When, if anyone could be trusted to get the accounts of Jesus correct and accurate, it's John. When you've been close to somebody, particularly someone who's really changed your life, you want to preserve their memory as accurately as possible. There's no need or even motivation to embellish. You want to get it right. And that's John, particularly when you're close. And, and uh, the thing about John and being you know, uh, trustworthy in what he's writing, he's also writing to people who could corroborate his stories, who could say, Hey, John wrote this. Is this really, does, does this really happen? Is that like, I heard John say this. It sounds like a little woo. And yeah, yeah, my mom was there or I was there or my cousin was there or there's people who could corroborate his stories. Because here's the thing. John, when he writes this, is not trying to get you to trust John. He's trying to get you to trust Jesus. He's not saying, Hey, I'm going to tell you about Jesus and then believe in me. Follow me because I'm the guy. It's, hey, I was following this guy and you got to hear, but I want as many as people as possible to believe in him. So that's John's motivation. And so then in just this handful of verses, John does this amazing thing of capturing three things. Who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, and what Jesus will do. Who Jesus is, what Jesus has done and what Jesus will do. And I want to walk you through those things. If you look with me at the, at um, verse five, kind of the beginning part of it, we got it on screen here. He's picking it up. He's talking about Jesus Christ. He says, he is the faithful witness to these things in this book. The first to rise from the dead and the ruler of all the kings of the world. That's what John's, you know, writing. It's all about who Jesus is. This, this particular book in the New Testament, Revelation, it's going to get a little crazy. It's going to get a little wild. Some of the events and prophecies, they're hard to understand. And they're a little, woo, just, just going nuts. And, and John's saying, look, Jesus is the witness to all these things. All that's happened, all that's going to happen, you can trust him because he's going to testify to it. He's like, I'm not making this up. Jesus is the faithful witness. So that's the first thing of who Jesus is. And then he goes on to say that that Jesus is the first to rise from the dead. Not, not that, let's go to the next one. He's the first to rise from the dead. He, he's not the first one to come back to life. There's reports of that in the Old Testament. There's reports of that, what Jesus accomplished. But he's the first to rise to eternal life, to a new body, a new eternal body. He's the first one of many that will rise, including all who believe in him. He has, we sang it a whole bunch this morning, he has defeated death. He's conquered it. There's no need to fear death anymore. Jesus is the first to rise from the dead. And then he goes on to say this, he's the ruler of all the kings of the world. All of them. All the Caesars, all the emperors, all the sultans. All the kings and presidents, all the good ones, all the bad ones like Pol Pot and Stalin and Amin and Hitler and Maduro and Jesus outgoverns and outlives and overrules them all. He's the king over all kings. 
for all time. He's sovereign and he's supreme. So he's the faithful witness. He's the first to rise and he's the ruler of all. Sounds very dramatic, doesn't it? And in the same breath, you might say, it sounds dramatic, but I don't really see the point. Like, how does that have any? I mean, it's great, Brian, but how does that have any bearing on my life today? I'll explain how this affects you. There's three kind of obstacles that we all face in life among many. But three big ones are doubt, fear, worry. Saying about some of those things this morning, too. Doubt, fear and worry. If you need help. Memorizing those, you, some of you don't like my mnemonic devices like kill the ferret. A few weeks ago, I got called out on that, that that wasn't very nice. But that has helped me remember that the way to defeat anger is kindness, tenderness, and forgiveness. So I got a new one for you. Doubt, fear, worry. This one's easy. Dallas, Fort Worth. DFW. All right? Any of you have ever traveled, you've probably gone through DFW. Doubt, fear, and worry. Doubt. We all have doubts. We've all had doubts. Doubts about, sometimes we doubt what's in here. Doubts about what God has said to us. Doubts about our own identity. Doubts about our own forgiveness from sin. Doubts about, you know, the future. Doubt, just, just doubt about our own kind of value and, and what God's, you know, calling us to. And fear. Who of us has not had fear? Fear of, you can fill in the blank. Fear of the future. Fear of the past. Fear of, Failure, fear of rejection, uh, fear of, uh, of, of our kind of health concerns, fear of whatever you name it. We've got those fears. Is fear of, is God really going to be faithful and true? And worry? Yeah, we probably all have a bit of that. Some of you could write the book on worry. Some of you, some of you are worried when you're not worrying. Some of you just find real comfort in worry and you, you don't really want to, but it's just like, well, it's just kind of my zones is where I live. And Jesus came to destroy worry as well. Worry about your kids, worry about your health, worry about retirement, you name it. Jesus is the faithful witness, the first to rise and the ruler of all. And it's, it affects this doubt, fear and worry. He deals with these three things. And here's, let me explain it this way. Let's go to that next slide. He's the faithful witness. What does that mean? There's no need to doubt because Jesus will testify to what's true. So you can be counted on, he can be relied on. I don't need to be, I don't want to live with doubts because Jesus is the faithful witness and he's the first to rise. What does that mean? I don't need to fear. I don't want to be afraid. You know, we, we think, well, death is kind of the, the worst thing. And, and what if, what if something terrible would happen? And so? Why would we be afraid of that? And if Jesus has dealt with that, couldn't he deal with absolutely everything else? There's no need to fear. And because Jesus is the the king of all kings, because he's the king of all kings, he's overruled worry. You don't need to worry about calamity, disasters, bad things happening. Things kind of look bad at times. Some of you think... Yeah, Brian, you do not know my situation. Like, if you saw my bank account, you would be worried for me. If you drove my car, you'd be worried for me. But Jesus governs over everything. He rules over everything. And so for the person who say, I yield my life to Jesus, I surrender my life to him. He's defeated these things. Doubt, fear, and worry. 
Because he's the faithful witness, the first to rise, and the ruler of all. Isn't that good? Isn't that good news? But it gets better. I want to talk about what Jesus has done. If you look at the rest of verse 5 with me and into verse 6. He says, all glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. He's made us a kingdom of priests for God his Father. All right, we have three things about who Jesus is. Now we get three more things about what Jesus has done. He loves us. He's freed us from sin. And he's, he's made us, he's ordained us to be a kingdom of priests. He, he loves you. The apostle John really got this love thing. He really did. John was, John, in his letter, first John is really all about God's love for us. John's the one that penned that most famous verse. God so loved the world that he gave his one only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but would have everlasting life, John 3.16. John John had this kind of way of referring to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now he's not bragging, he's not saying Jesus didn't love the other disciples, but he had just such a keen awareness of the love of Jesus that it was just a great intimate way to say, I'm the disciple whom Jesus loved. You think, well, how does that matter? Let me, let me, I mean, help you try this. So for example, I'm, I'm married to Becky. And if I say, I'm the husband of Becky, that's a good fact. You understand? Yeah, that's, that's true and wonderful and, and that's secure and everything else. But if I say, I'm the man that Becky loves. (laughs) Same truth. Feels way better. At least to me it does. Right? It's way more intimate and way more secure. And so if you can get to that point of really grasping and receiving the love of Jesus and say, I'm the disciple whom Jesus loves. It suddenly becomes way more personal and way more secure. In fact, I want you to try it. You can just try it quietly under your breath. Or you can say it as loud as you want. I'm, the, I'm a disciple that Jesus loves. Go ahead and try that. I'm the disciple whom Jesus loves. Say one more time. I'm the disciple that Jesus loves. Isn't that good? Does that feel right? That's a delight to have that experience and that intimacy with, with Him. And so that's, that's kind of where, where John really grasped this thing about that Jesus has loved us. Second thing that he's going on to say is that He's freed us from sin. He, he's freed us by the shedding of His own blood. See, it's a fundamental legal principle of the spiritual realm that, that someone has to die for, for the for the, as the penalty for sin. The payment, the wages of sin is death. Someone has to die. Blood has to be spilled. Now God allowed animal sacrifices as a substitute and atonement in the past for that. But when Jesus came, Jesus, who never sinned, had no sin of his own to pay for, was the only one qualified to spill his blood on our behalf for the forgiveness of our sin. And so that's why you can say he has forgiven our sin, freed us from that, through his blood. He's the only one qualified. It means we're not under shame. I don't know if you've noticed. I've noticed it this morning in some of our songs. I've noticed in other songs I've been listening to. There's a lot of songs that are talking about being set free from our shame and overcoming that, finding victory. You know, in Christ, there's no guilt. There's no condemnation. All those things have been dealt with. We have this this freedom. And this word has become so kind of big, particularly in our songs recently, and uh, it was recently I was kind of noticing, I'm like, man, there's a lot of sing- songs we've been singing that have this sort of 
reference to chains breaking or I'm free from my chains or something about chains. You know, my chains are gone. We sang at least two of them this morning, Christy. And, and I was, you know, I'll be honest. I was thinking, what's the matter with these lazy songwriters? Can't they come up with any other cliches? Like, this is lame. And I uh, don't no, it's fine, but it's. And then I was actually praying about it. Lord, seriously, can you not get your songwriters to come up with anything else? And I said, I, I won't say the Lord said, but I had this sense of, hang on, what if, what if right now we are in a season where the Holy Spirit is trying to get a message through to us, trying to get it through our slow, thick skulls that Jesus has come to set us free from those things that hold us back. The chains of, of, of bad relationship choices, the chains of, of addiction, the chains of, uh, of, of Fear, the chains of, of, of worry and failure and doubt, those things we already talked about, the chains of, of debt and the chains of whatever it is. Maybe the Lord's trying to say, I'm trying to tell you something. I've set you free. Now live in that freedom. Walk in that. And I'm like, oh, I'll sing every chain-breaking song there is. Amen. It's actually become really meaningful to me now as opposed to a cliche. So I think it's, I think it's good news. I think it's good news. You know, I got to tell you something. Last, uh, just this past Wednesday night, I was at Awana. I was a, a guest in the Awana, or Wednesday night children's program called Awana. And I actually met a couple of ladies there who had, who had in fact time traveled from the time of Jesus to the Awana classroom. And, uh, and they were doing this like live news report to the kids from the empty tomb. And, and one, the, the reporter, her name is Lydia Purplestein. And um, she was interviewing somebody named Mary. And I, I think they're time traveling again. I think they're going to time travel to us right here um, today. Uh, Lydia Purplestein, is that you? This is. Hey, well, take it away. Okay. This is Lydia Purplestein with JEWS Jews News reporting to you live from the events that have been going on in Jerusalem. It has been a weekend of remarkable happenings. Today, even worse, the reports are flying that the tomb of Jesus is empty. Nobody knows what's happened, but I have an eyewitness with me, and we're going to see if we can get some clarity on this. First of all, what's your name? Mary. And where are you from? Magdala. Okay, now Mary, I am quite sure that I saw you here on Friday at the crucifixion. It's pretty unusual for a woman to be at that kind of event, so... Why were you there? What is Jesus to you that you felt you needed to be there? Jesus saved my life. When I, when I found him, I was losing my mind. I was actually possessed by seven different demons and, um, I couldn't sleep. I couldn't eat. I, I could barely talk. I felt sick all the time. And, um, and Jesus set me free from all of that and gave me hope and dignity and a community of, of his followers. And, um, and I owe him my life. He saved my life. And so on Friday, when this was happening, I wanted to be there for him. Wow. That's really amazing. How, how did you feel? Horrified. Um, devastated how how was this happening how could this happen to him jesus was the most powerful person that we'd ever seen he had healed every sickness and every disease that that we had seen um blind people would come to him and they would leave seeing 
One of his friends died, and Jesus went and woke him up, and he was alive again. And that happened multiple times. Um, he could command the weather, like storms and water. Um, he was a miracle worker. And so on Friday, we didn't understand how he was allowing himself to die. He was forgiving the people that were killing him. He was turning to the a man on the cross beside him and forgiving him. And it, it was the most powerful love that I'd ever seen. Wow. Now, Mary, did you actually see Jesus put in the grave? Yes. Yeah. So you have no, no question, no doubt that he was really dead. No, he was dead. And can you tell us a little bit about how they sealed the grave? There was some sort of um, guard that was brought, and they rolled the stone over the entrance of the grave where um, Joseph and Nicodemus had laid his body. So you must have spent a devastating Sabbath. Uh, tell us now, what happened this morning? Well, very, it was very early. The sun wasn't up yet. Um, but the other women and I were bringing um, some of the, spoice, the spices that we were going to use to anoint his body. And uh, we were in, it was such a hurry on Friday because the sun was setting and it was the Sabbath. And um, so on this morning, we were hoping to um, be able to anoint his body and to pray with him. And um, those were our customs. So we were hoping for that. Okay, wait a minute. How did you expect to move this massive stone that was in front of the grave? Well, we were thinking, you know, men will do just about anything to get a group of emotional women to stop annoying them. So we were hoping that maybe if we just talked long enough, they would move it. And did it work? It didn't have to. When we showed up, the stone was gone. It was real. It was rolled away, away from the tomb. The tomb was empty. And then what happened? So we saw that the stone had been moved and the tomb was empty. And we took off running into town to tell the men. Wait. Tell them what? That the stone was gone and the tomb was empty. And they didn't believe us, of course. So um, John and Peter came back running to the tomb to see for themselves. And they um, went inside and saw that it was empty and that the linen was still laying there. And the the head covering was folded up. And they went back into town to tell the others. Um, and, And so we looked inside and we saw that too. But we also saw that there were two young men there, but they, they were glowing like lightning. Their clothes were glowing like the moon. And they said something like, something like, why are you looking for a dead person? No, why are you looking for a living person among dead people? He's not here. He's alive. What did you do after that? I sat down and cried. I didn't know what to think. Um, and I heard a voice behind me say, um, woman, why are you crying? And I, I couldn't think straight. I just wanted to know where he was. And, um, then I heard it again, Mary. And I realized I know that voice. And I turned around and it was Jesus. What? Wait, what? Say that again. Right there. He is alive. I touched him. I talked to him. He is alive today. You, Mary, actually saw and touched Jesus, who had yes. been dead. Yes. 
Um, so what are you going to do now? He told us to go tell the disciples and to meet him in Galilee. He told us where he was going, and that's where I'm going now. So I need to go. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Well, folks, you heard it here. This is J-E-W-S, Jews News. Not only is the grave empty, but eyewitnesses have seen Jesus alive and touched him. Lydia Purplestein and Mary of Magdala. Wow. He's freed us from our sin. There's one more thing that Jesus has done. He's loved us. He's freed us from our sin. And he's anointed us to be priests. He's made us a kingdom of priests. He's ordained us for that. Now, you're going to say, well, I don't want to be a priest. Not interested. That's not my deal. No way. But here's the thing. All a priest does is represents the people to God and represents God to the people. A priest is a conduit of God's grace, a representative of God's mercy to people. God did not make you make us to be a kingdom of judges. He made us to be a kingdom of priests. Jesus will do the judging. That day is coming. That's not our task. Our task is to dispense the mercy, the grace the love of God, the good news that we can be set free. There's a big difference. A kingdom, not of judges. A kingdom of priests for God. And that brings glory to Him. We are blessed by God to be a blessing to the world, to the people around us. And that's why John writes, All glory to Him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding His blood for us. He has made us to be a kingdom of priests for God, his father. So now you know who Jesus is. He's the faithful witness. The first to rise. The king of all kings. You know what he's done. As he's delivered you from doubt and fear and worry. You know what he's done. He's loved you. He's freed you. He's, an orda- he's ordained you to be his representative. And now one more thing. John reveals what Jesus will do. Verse 7 goes this way. He says, look. He comes with the clouds of heaven and everyone will see him, even those who pierced him and all the nations of the world will mourn for him. Yes and amen. Jesus will return in full view. All will see him. We don't know when Jesus will return, but we know that he will and that all will see him. You see, the gospel is fully transparent. There's no secrets here. This is not some doctrine downloaded to a guy in a closet somewhere and says, hey, look what I found. You know, the, the good news of uh, that's brought to us through Scripture, this whole book is coherent. It all fits together and all makes sense, even though it's written over 1,500 years by 40 different authors, and yet it all points to the same truth that Jesus is your only hope. Jesus is your Savior. Jesus is the only one to give you purpose and meaning in your life, to lift you out of the desperation of just trying to get through every day and just hope you make it. Jesus comes to give you purpose, came to give you life, came to give you fullness. And some are going to rejoice on the day when Jesus returns. Yes! Yeah! Finally, Jesus is here! Only you won't like fall back to the ground because you'll just keep going up. And some are going to weep and wail and cry because they're going to be devastated that they fought against him. They say, he's not real, he's not true, and they're going to weep Maybe they're going to weep because they were part of that crucifixion. 
There's a place in the Old Testament that says that every knee will bow. Well, some are going to do that willingly and some under duress. But every knee will bow to declare that Jesus is in fact Lord. The King is coming. He will return. And I wonder if you're ready for the King. Is your heart ready for the King? Have you put your full faith and trust in Jesus? The one who's freed you from sin. The one who's made you to be a priest. Ordained you. Sure, you you believe in Jesus. You believe that he died. You, you believe that he rose again. You believe all these things about him. Maybe you, you're like, oh, he's the son of God. I think he's great. I think Jesus is really fantastic. But have you put your faith in him? Have you entrusted your life into Jesus? There's a difference between, between believing about him and believing in him. Where you release and say, Jesus, how about instead of me being the Lord of my life, you be the Lord of my life. Instead of me being in charge, how about you be in charge? How about instead of me getting you to follow along with me, you know, Jesus, my co-pilot, how about instead, Jesus, you be the pilot and I'll follow along with you. That's what he invites you to do. And maybe you've never done that. And maybe today for the first time you would say, I want to, I want to go there. I want to say, Jesus, I trust in you. I, 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 I believe about you, but I believe in you as my Lord and my Savior, the one who died for my sin and rose again. And as we uh, go into our last song in uh, just a few moments, worship team, why don't you come on up and join me here. Prayer team, uh, those who are on today and, and extras, if you guys could just be available on the side today. If you're saying, I, I want to give my life to Jesus today, just head over to one of those folks. They'll pray with you. We'll give, it a little, we'll give a Bible for you afterwards if you don't already have a Bible. And we'll kind of walk you through that. Today will be a great day to say, yes, I want to give my life to Jesus. Now, I'm going to talk to some of the others that would say, I, I've done all that. It was a long time ago. I, I, I received Jesus as my, my Lord, but I've drifted. I'm, I'm not really close to him at all. Kind of a long way from God. And I, I mean, I'm here, it's Easter, it's, it, you know, I'm here a lot of the time, in fact, but I just, I'm just not that close to God. If anybody really knew that I'd be embarrassed and I don't, I just don't want to, deal with it. I'm inviting you to say today will be a great day to get right with God. Today will be a a really great day to get right with God. Why just keep drifting along? Why keep living at an arm's length from him when he says, I died for you. I sent my son for you. He poured out his his life for you. I I raised him from the dead for you. One day he's going to return for you. Why not make him the Lord and leader of your life in a fresh way today? He invites you to do that. It doesn't force you to it. God's good that way. He doesn't twist your arm in anything. But it's always an invitation. Believe in me. Follow me. Trust me. Know me. Will you bow your heads with me in prayer? Jesus, I just thank you for the truths of of your word. I thank you for all that John's given to us. Jesus, I thank you that you are the faithful 
trustworthy witness. Which just means we don't have to doubt. Jesus, I thank you that you were the first to rise from the dead, which means I don't need to be afraid of anything. And Jesus, I thank you that you're ruler of the kings of the world, that no matter what calamity happens, you're sovereign. You're over it all. Jesus, I thank you that you, you loved us. You freed us from our sin. You've ordained us to be your representatives in the world. Jesus, you're coming back one day and I want to be ready. And I want my friends and loved ones here to be ready as well. And so church, I just leave that challenge with you today. To be that, to be a disciple whom Jesus loves, to know him intimately in that way. If you've never given your life to Christ, why not do that today as we're singing the song? Go to one of those prayer people or you can talk to me or Pastor Stephen or Pastor Annette, Jan, Pastor Janice, any one of us afterwards or the person you came with to say, I, I want to give my life to Jesus. Or you're, you're away, you're, you're distant, you've drifted and you just say, I gotta get right with God today. Same thing, we'd love to help you with that. God, we thank you. Thank you just for this day of celebration. You are so good. We love you and we thank you for your great love for us. Lord God, amen.